Bootstrapping your business can sometimes feel lonely. Welcome to the Bootstrapped European Entrepreneur Podcast, where you can hear the stories of your peers, as well as the strategies and tactics that have helped them grow their businesses. Your host, Uroj, co-founded a company as a student and led it through the trials and tribulations of bootstrapping to the IPO on the stock exchange. Hi, our guest today is Milan Sao, CEO and founder of SmartClick, a web and SEO agency from North Macedonia. What makes them different from many other agencies is that they target global clients from the very beginning. In this episode, we discuss what he learned while being freelancer on Upwork, why he decided to start a company, and how he approaches sales and running his company in general. I hope you will enjoy this episode. Hi, Milan. Thanks for joining us today. Hi, Oros. Thanks for the invitation. I'm really happy, let's say. What's impressive about your story is that your company mostly has international clients and you're located in Northern Macedonia. So you're doing stuff that people usually tell me that it's impossible. So how did it all begin? Yeah, uh, it was about nine years ago. By then I started working as a freelancer and I tried to break through on the market. In that time, there were a lot of world-class talent freelancers, which I were competing with them directly. So it was a bit thought and challenging to succeed. So you used uh, these platforms like Upwork or Adiva, let's say, or something like that? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, I firstly started on Upwork. Yeah. Uh, after that, I continue on TopTal, so I combine both of them. So I use uh, Upwork as a customer. Yeah. And the biggest pain for me is, let's say, that you get a really a lot of response if you have like an interesting project. So how is it on the other side yeah, as a freelancer? Oh, it's, I think it's, completely the same because you need to apply to a lot of jobs until you get your first one but uh, it all comes to to be unique with your approach to the project and for the client so firstly when i started i tried to uh, because i didn't have any experience i tried to just use some template to apply for most more jobs but then i understand that as specific as you are it becomes uh, better for the client to understand what you actually can offer to them. And that was the reason when they give you a try to, to have the interview. When you joined Upwork and when you started to work as a freelancer, were you already an experienced professional or were you also learning on the job, let's say? Uh, I had around three or four years experience in a private company here in Macedonia as a web developer. And then I, I did the transition to, to a freelancer. But it was nice experience. I wasn't without experience, but when you came to these platforms, you don't have experience there, which is really important. Until you get the first one, two projects, then get a couple of testimonials from clients. So this was like the, the turning point. First to get a chance to, to do some quality job and then receive feedback from the client, which... After that, gives trust to the others to choose you. Okay, so you were a freelancer, but uh, let's now, today you have a company. Yeah. So how did that, this transition then happen uh, and why? When I worked as a freelancer, it was all great uh, about a couple of years. But after that, uh, I felt like alone. I was working from 
firstly at home, after that in an office. But I didn't have a team. I communicate only online, which now is the reality, of course. But but yeah. back then... Uh, but now everybody understands you why you think yeah. it. Like yeah. <laughs> uh, but back then, I, I felt that I want to grow with the team, not like individual. And that's the reason, firstly, I, I started to give some of my projects to others and work together on them. But after that, I have a chance from another client who give me the opportunity to hire other people and start working together on their projects. And that's how SmartLink begins. Yeah. Okay. So if I understand correctly, you're targeting global companies yes. that works on a global yes. market, which is, let's say, not usual in this uh, region because usually, let's say, the agency-like business or something like that, they focus on the local market first. So why this decision and is it easy or did you have any problems let's say approaching this market my passion first was to help companies here but it was a bit hard because the people here who who has businesses maybe they are smaller and they're not prepared to invest a lot in um, in online marketing in websites probably because they don't in that time they didn't see any value why to invest money to have a website to promote globally because they the, the town is small and most of, of the people know each other, know the businesses. And then I, because I had the chance to, to work with international clients, they have much more structured, uh, they know what, what they want to, to create. So they give you specifications for the website. It's, the process is much easier. So let's say, what's your experience, let's say, in acquiring international clients working on a global market, let's say? Uh, how did you acquire the, your first client? Let's say this is usually the hardest one. The first one was through Upwork. Oh. I, I applied a lot on a lot of jobs and I got lucky. I got one response. I get a chance from them, started working on their website, do great website. And after that, after receiving the first few feedback from the clients, it was a bit easier because then you got invites and you just, with little bit personal approach to each of them, you have a chance to have the interview. And after that, they gave you a chance to work on their projects. Okay, but let's say this switch from Upwork to starting a company, let's say. With Upwork, let's say you're a single person. Let's say when you start a company, usually you have at least a little bit more taxes to pay or something like that. Yeah. So yeah. let's say more of a recurring cost. So what made you switch, let's say? And, uh, how did you smooth this transition? It was not easy because it, it required to, to develop additional skills like budgeting mostly as a freelancer. You you budget maybe per hour or, or fixed price per project, but at the beginning you didn't even calculate your equipment, your offices, your utilities and so on. Yeah. After that, you're trying to put them also in the costs. And when I transitioned to, to a company, it required even different skill set for example project management managing people and teams and the most important i think is the sales because if you can't sell the story your vision and how you can help customers then everything else just can't be developed because the sales and marketing are the oxygen of the business so when you let's say now started the company so you had already uh, a client from upwork then you, then you let's say pulled off the platform yeah yeah that was the Key, the key decision. 
One or more? One at the beginning. Oh. But this was enough just to give me, <laughs> to try, have a company. Yeah. So how did you then now get from one client to multiple clients? And if I understand, let's say most of them are international, let's say. So how did you build, let's say, the credibility coming from, let's say, the region that is not known for, let's say, online marketing services or something like that, let's say. So because now you also do SEO, if I understand. Yeah, right. yeah. Uh, I think the key point was also the freelance platforms because there I had a lot of uh, great feedback from clients. And after that, I received a lot of referrals from them. So transitioning them from me working on the project to company working on the project was like a key turning point for the company. But I was still involved a lot in the whole process, in the communication, in the task delegation, and so on, which consumes a lot of time at the beginning. But you must, uh, you must do that. So now that you had a company, let's say, did you still use uh, Upwork to acquire clients, or do you now have a different kind of uh, customer acquisition process? Most of our current clients or past clients still send some referrals to us because of the quality work done before. Uh, and we, we still use these channels as uh, channels for driving qualified leads. But we also do uh, most outreach on LinkedIn, which is the number one network thing for B2B companies try to get engaged and start working together. So what does work for you on LinkedIn and what doesn't, let's say? Can you share a little bit? Yeah, we constantly share some useful stories uh, we try to do that frequently, maybe daily or a few times per week, which uh, position us as, as experts in, in the fields, which is also noticeable by, by the clients. And other thing is the outbound marketing. We're trying to reach out to potential clients through messages and try to offer our services. And after that, schedule a call, an interview, and discuss about the potential which they have. So how does this initial outreach look like, let's say? Uh, do you have it like a template or do you approach to each client differently? The first couple of messages are like a template because it's just introduction, try to make the connection, and after that becomes more personal. Uh, you're making a list of your ideal clients and then try to, to reach to them. How did you learn, let's say, what your ideal client is? It was also a tough process, uh, but... After a couple of clients and projects, we make a list of all of our clients which we had and which we're having at the moment and try to make some pattern between them. How big is the company? Are they B2B? Are they e-commerce? Try to combine all of these attributes and uh, also the experience working with them. Are they a technical company or any other company? The language which we communicate. All this combined gave us some idea how to choose our ideal client and who to approach on LinkedIn, for example. And who is now this ideal client, if you can yeah, share? Yeah, our ideal client is B2B SaaS companies yeah. who has uh, 10 to 100 employees who already has some marketing channels and want SEOs an additional channel to drive qualified leads. Okay, and if uh, you approach them now with web development or with SEO first, well, how do you position yourself? We, we try both. We are combining both. So let's say doing SEO for clients targeting global market. 
I understand that on-site SEO, it's probably, let's say, the same for all of them because it's like some technical stuff that has to be done and you can go through a checklist, see if it works or, or not, and just fix it. But uh, let's say off-site SEO, let's say so, uh, that also contributes to better positioning in the search engine. Is it different depending on the niche of the client? Or is it like it's the same strategy that works for all of them? We're trying to create unique strategy for each of the clients because every client is different. We're analyzing most of their competitors, try to find uh, what the current top competitors do, try to leverage some of the of their weaknesses and create a strategy around weaknesses of their competitors. But it's, it's completely different for each of them. It's not like one-size-fits-all strategy. Okay, so how do you charge... Uh, that's your clients. Do you have a simple retainer or are you more more adventurous and you try to charge based on your effect and your efficiency and your results? We, we charge on a retainer package. Yeah. Uh, we have like a package at the beginning which is consisted of uh, audits. These audits are detailed analysis for the technical part of the website, the content on the website and the competitors. And after that, based on them, we're trying to create like a path what is missing on the client's website and connect with their goals. And this is like something which gives us to create the strategy. It, it usually takes more time to bring results and we're measuring the keywords which we will define as, uh, as KPIs, yeah. the rankings of the keywords or how clicks, how impressions we, we could bring to, to a website, which also, after that, the, the final and the most important thing is the, the sales. Yeah. But this is measurable. It's not hard to be measured. But as you said, it, it takes time. Yeah, but sometimes attribution is also a problem. Let's say if the company is doing also, using also other channels, let's say attribution could be tricky. Uh, Let's say, especially if they are doing offline marketing costs or something like that. Yeah, but on, on the tools like Google Analytics, there is only measurement for the organic traffic which comes to the website. And you can also set up there like goals, which tells you how much of this organic traffic clicks some button or convert to a customers. So you mentioned the audits, let's say. Is this also like a sales tool so that you first sell an audit? and then build your credibility with this? Yeah, this was like a key point for us because before that we were at the beginning, we we're trying to sell, for example, 12 month package, which doesn't give any value to the client. But after that, when we started doing only the audits as a first step, almost all of the clients saw a lot of value in them. And after that are willing to proceed and give you permission to execute the strategy because you have credibility. They you earn their trust, which is really important. Okay, so if I understand, let's say, your sales process. So you start with, uh, let's say, if it's not a referral, because it's probably much easier if it's a referral, uh, but you start with a call to outreach on LinkedIn. If there is some response, uh, and probably this also already mentions uh, an audit. Yeah. So do you, let's say, prepare yourself in advance to know that, uh, let's say, they have a, a shitty website or, let's say, a website that allows for improvements and just contact those? 
Yeah, we do our homework in this part because we have to be prepared for the call. So we do like a mini analysis, which takes us a couple of hours and have some information about their current state, but not so in details, which give us position to present them what we found just in very uh, small period. And after that, uh, we are presenting the solution also and asking a couple of questions about their business, their goals, and other like pain points which they have. And then we're going to present solutions or the audits as a first step, and after that, the strategy. Ah, okay. So, and if this is done, then, then you proceed to a retainer yeah. and uh, let's yeah. see, work with yeah. them on... Uh, we are not including any contract locks with, for the client, but yeah. it's, it's also nice to stay longer because it gives us a chance to uh, change the strategy because not all, almost this, the first time will work. So we are trying to, to adapt what works, what doesn't continue with what it works. Okay, so let's say this sounds uh, really let's say, resource-intensive, let's say, people-intensive yeah. approach, let's say, because you have to do a lot of analysis and so on. So how did you approach to building a team, let's say, because you work as a freelancer, as you hated to being alone? How many of you are right now? We're 10 at the moment. Yeah. And at the beginning, uh, again, as a client, I, I hired my first uh, employees as, as referrals from other friends. But after that, we had an interview, met each other. And again, I think the most of the quality employees are again like referrals from others. Because you're really specialized, let's say, do you find uh, already developed talent in your local market? Or do you have to, let's say, uh, coach them and train them? Even if the people are with, with some experience, our different process from others is something which we must train the people additionally. It's not just onboard them here and start working everything. So how do you approach this uh, onboarding, let's say? What's your process? When we onboard new employee, we have a, a clear defined process, which is also documented. And we're giving them to read that documentation, learn about our company, our way of work. And then some of the experienced people is jumping with them on a call and try to explain it a little bit. Then we are onboarding them on a project where we will give specific tasks which needs to be done at the beginning more easier, but after that to, to take over and lead the whole project. So are you a remote company because you said you jump on a call or is this uh, because of the COVID lockdowns? And so we are seven at the office and three, pe three people are in other towns in Macedonia. Yeah. Okay, uh, you mentioned that uh, let's say you have documentation which is... Uh, quite impressive for, let's say, a company of so few people. So why do you already have a, a documented process and so on? Because we were in a situation where we need to explain uh, the same thing to a couple of people. Not every touch with potential employee was successful. And again, you need to go through this with each of them. But after that, we felt that if we document it properly, then we will not spend so much time on, on the onboarding but we will jump on the moment where it's it's most needed. Uh, so let's say, so how far do you go? Let's say, is it like onboarding? Okay, here's the coffee and so on. Or is it, uh, let's say, uh, also the techniques that they should use and how uh, they should do the technical stuff? 
at the moment we documented most of the things so how to do the audit how to uh, use the tools which we are using for example task management tools uh, communication tools all of the tools for the outreach so we have step-by-step -step documentation for that and at some point it's impossible to just continue because it's different approach for each of for each campaign and then comes uh, some of the specialists here to explain the rest so you mentioned referral several times let's say so do you actively work on getting the referrals because uh... yeah yeah we proactively ask for referrals because they're the best clients okay, can you explain a little bit uh, let's say how to approach uh, that so when you and your cooperation with some of your clients, current clients, you just ask for a feedback, is everything went well with the project, with communication, and after that you just ask if there is someone who is a friend of them or business partner or something else who has a need of our service to recommend us. So does this work, let's say, do you get on a call with them? Is it uh, an email? Let's say, what works best? Uh, I usually try to be as personal as possible with our clients and have open communication and always on having a call on Zoom or Hangouts or something else is, is the best way because email just can be read and after that forgot. Okay, so you put them on the spot, let's say in a call and what's then? There is, is there an uncomfortable silence? No, because you already have some good communication, good relationship through the project. It's, it's not comfortable at all. Some, sometimes it happens, even if I didn't ask, after one or two years, a person write me or call me and said, hey, this guy recommends you a few months ago and I reach out to discuss about website or SEO. It happens oftenly. Okay. So you're actively, let's say, asking for reforms. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this is great because uh, a lot of time people don't do that. And it's a really a missed opportunity. It is, it is not predictable channel for having a client, but once you have a referral, it's like the easiest win to, to close a client. And uh, you, you have another channel except the others which we're doing. So let's talk a little bit more about you, let's say. So you said that, uh, let's say, being a freelancer, let's say first you were a developer, let's yeah. say. Then you went to Upwork and you have to learn a little bit about approach to sales, let's say. Yeah. Uh, it was implicit in your answer, but you find out that if you put in more work into, uh, let's say, answering for a project, there's better success rate, let's say. What else did you have to learn as a person when you opened your own company? Uh, I always try to self-improve. Uh, I read a lot. I attend a lot of webinars, seminars, whatever it, it, it comes to my eyes. I'm trying to, to be to be there to learn something new. I also worked with a couple of uh, coaches for the business or for personal growth, which also helped a lot. So, so what was the easiest thing to learn, let's say, as a CEO, and what was the hardest thing to learn, and uh, that you're still working on, maybe? The easiest is the management of of the team and the project because. That comes like a natural to me after working on a lot of projects with different teams as a freelancer. And the hardest is to leadership and sales, definitely, because you continuously need to improve, communicate with each of the members, communicate with each of the clients on a proper language. Yeah. 
One sales coach told me, sales is like dating, let's say. And the good thing is that it doesn't matter how many no's you get, the one yes counts. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so this mentality, this let's say this shift of being able to hear no's in a succession, it's really hard, but it makes a lot of sense. Let's say yeah, it's not comfortable when you get no. You yeah. What surprised me, let's say that you said that uh, managing team came naturally to you. So how did being part of different teams, uh, let's say as a freelancer, prepared you? to manage your own team? Uh, because each of the clients has like different tools, different task management tools, different structures. And I combined more, most of them and try to get what will work best here in our company. Okay, so this is like the task management, uh, let's say, so dividing the work yeah, and so on. Yeah. What about the soft skills, let's say? Uh, we as, let's say, technical people, we often struggle at the beginning at, uh, let's say, people interactions. This was something which I, I'm trying and I'm still trying to, to improve because it's it's not something which you can learn and then just stop. Yeah. But I, I learned a lot from some some other CEOs who, who I work with and how they handle it with the team, how they communicate. And on that way, I'm I was trying to improve my communication skills presentation when there is a need to present a vision of the company or some of the core values. So that was the way. In my experience, let's say agencies have like just two options uh, where, where they are in their life cycle. One of them is they have too few people because they have too many projects. And the other one is the other way around. They have <laughs> too many people and too few projects, let's say. So this implies like continuous sales and so on that you are working on it. But the other way to approach it is, uh, let's say, also to look at it from financial perspective. Uh, let's say, so learning finances, are you already at this stage that you have to deal with it? And if yes, how are you, let's say, approaching planning? This is something which I also do at the moment, uh, but it's something which has to be delegated very soon. Because in, in a company like our size, it's not affordable to have a financial advisor or something else in this role. Yeah. Uh, so it's a bit difficult to manage all, all of these things because except finance, there is again the leadership, the sales, the, in, the marketing and so on. Uh, how I try to, to do this is I, uh, I have some spreadsheets where I just put all the incomes, all the expenses, try to count the profitability from each of the projects, the cost for each of people who work here. And that's how I do it right now. But there is... So do you already measure profitability of the projects? Yes, yes. How do you approach that? Because there are a few different approaches. And uh, if you can share, let's say... For example, if on, on one project work uh, three people, we define how much time they will work on it. Okay, what, but what about, let's say, the because there, there is an effective time that they're working on the project, let's say, and there's the time in between, let's say, taking calls, drinking coffee, yeah. doing all the other stuff. Do you measure this time and how do you make this decision? We what? can't build that time and we usually use yeah. around six hours per day 
as effective, maybe less 5, 5.30. But the difference between that and the rest of the time here will be covered from the company. And after that, maybe uh, I was thinking to create like better pricings where I will I will calculate more specifically all of these all of these costs because it's actually cost of a company but can be really built up to the client. Yeah, uh, when we still had an agency, let's say I was facing the same problem, and uh, we had a lot of projects because we were just doing a web development, and some of them were large, like a few ten thousand euros, and some of them were small, like three hundred euros or uh, let's say a thousand or a little bit less. And I didn't have a clue. <laughs> where the profits are coming from or where the loss is coming from. And then, uh, let's say, I had to convince people to start tracking time. For you, it was probably easier because you were already accustomed to from Upwork, let's say, and uh, similar platforms. But what then surprised me was this, let's say, this uh, time spent on other things. And uh, I, let's say, after a few, time, a few months, I found out, let's say, the developers they're the most efficient on working on stuff, let's say, if you leave them alone. They can go up to seven hours per day, let's say, in our work week. While the project managers, if they got about, let's say, about four hours per day, they're really good and really efficient, let's say. So it's different in different stuff. And then I said, okay, something that can be built directly. Some of the stuff is, let's say, this uh, company cost. And then I found out, okay, there's also a third Part, let's say it's the investments that you want to do and you have to cover all of that and the margin that i thought that were good before on the projects i found out they were like not sufficient yeah. let's say so it was it, there were shitty margins and this drive the prices up <laughs> at least our prices yeah, yeah. so uh so i expect that you have a that you're in the same spot right now yeah so how do you then approach let's say this uh, price how do you set your prices uh, again, this is, as I mentioned before, we, we try to calculate how much our team should be dedicated to a client's project yeah. and then put some margin over that. Uh, but this is not the perfect solution. So we definitely need to improve here because it comes a time where we need to hire people who will not work on the project, as you mentioned, like project managers. So, so they're not directly involved in the work or HR people or finance people. So it should be like an investment at the beginning until you have constant work around them. And this should be calculated as a cost and so on. Were you ever in position that you have to renegotiate the price with the client? Yeah, yeah, it happens sometimes. So how do you approach the client with the idea that they should pay more? I try to first understand how much value they will get from the service. Is it valuable for them? Because if it's not, then any price would be just not worth. Uh, when they tell you what it hurts, how much it hurts, what will be improved with our service, how many sales they will have, how much revenue or profit they will make, then it's, it's much easier to speak about the prices. Because they don't see it as a cost, as, but as an investment. So you're basically doing cost-benefit analysis on their behalf. Yeah, yeah. Smart. Because if you just put any price, no matter how small or big it would be, if you didn't discuss all of these things, it wouldn't be any cooperation at all. They will just don't see any value. So let's say you made this transition now, a successful transition from uh, being a freelancer on a platform to having your own company. Let's say in the process, you scratch your reach of having a team to talk with. Uh, 
what would be, let's say, your advice to somebody who's listening to us as a freelancer and wants to follow you on this path? I say, what's the thing that they should be aware of? I think first they need to overcome the fear to become entrepreneur instead of freelancer, but it's different mindset. So if, if they're willing to, to do that, then just overcome the fears, try to specialize in, in some service or some niche or some industry and offer quality services. I think these are the most important things at the beginning. Yeah, thank you for this conversation and for reminding me, let's say, on of the challenges of bootstrapping when the company is still young and I wish you all the success. Thank you for the opportunity being on this call. If you like this episode, please subscribe to the podcast and do not forget to tell your friends about it. I would really appreciate it if you tell me which entrepreneur would you like me to interview next. Just email me at podcast at bootstrapentrepreneurs.eu. The episode show notes are available at www.bootstrapentrepreneurs.eu. See you next week.